Hey everyone, welcome back to the District 3 Podcast, episode 231. My name is Edwin. And I'm Migs. And I, I'm not sure if you can tell, but like half of my face is still kind of asleep from this dentist appointment I just came back from. So if I sound a little muffled, it's because of that. I promise I didn't drink before this podcast. <laughs> We're still going pretty hard on a dry January. Uh, even though I, I did tell Migs before this that... I'm going to New York this weekend, and uh, I might take like just like a one-day pause and just have some nice drinks in New York, and then add the day to the to February. So I wouldn't be done technically until after February for February first. Oh wow, you're making up the day. Yeah, I, I'm going the whole month, but I'm actually even considering going all the way to my birthday on February 27th. So it might, oh, yeah. you know, it's it's been pretty fun doing. Uh, I've learned now to call it dry January because. Apparently, there's some sort of like stigma by calling it sober January. Yeah, people don't like being sober. I feel like <laughs> I feel like when I've when I've mentioned sober January to someone, they're like, "Oh, you have an alcohol problem." I'm like, "No, I'm just yeah. taking a break of not drinking alcohol yeah. and like just drinking a bunch of water, energy drink here and there." I, I feel like that's a new trend, especially like uh, like over here in, in Arkansas. I feel like if you were in California, New York, they'd be like. Yeah, dry January, but here it's like still yeah, we're everybody's still catching on, you know. There are several like you know, I remember you said last time whenever you did so. I mean, dry January in Fe- in uh, November, yeah. um, that right. some some of your friends were uh, were also doing it with you. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, but you didn't know. I I didn't know until like I was halfway through, and they were like, "Hey, man, like just so you know, like." So we've actually had several people tell me the past few days that they're doing it as well. So even before like I yeah. didn't reach half of mine. Uh, like, you know, Frisco is doing it. Uh, yeah. My friend Jessica is doing it. There's several other people that are doing yeah. it. And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, I, I had a couple of people that said that they were going to do it, but they never they did. They quit? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just letting you know, if you see me post on Instagram when I'm in New York a, a drink or something, please, like, I, I'm taking a pause. It's an official pause, and I'm yeah. mentioning it in the podcast. That way that everybody knows I, I'm I'm uh, saying it ahead of time. But I'll come back to it. Uh, I, w- I mean, I, I would, too, being in New York and stuff. I don't know when the next time is I'm going to be in New York, yeah. and I and – I, we're staying at this at this nice hotel, and it has like a bar at the bottom and at the bottom of. I mean, uh, there's lots of probably little nice areas that you want to get a drink at over there. There's some nice rooftops where you have nice views and stuff. Yeah. And and look, I've been wanting to go to New York since I was a little kid, and like this is I'm finally able to 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 go. Um, once you have that adult money, right, you're able to actually <laughs> do things that you want to do that you couldn't do when you were a little kid. But like, um, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be there for three or four days, and and um, and you just want to have a drink, so. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I I mentioned that in the podcast and and um, you're you're not doing dry January right? Uh, no, but if you go to New York, uh, th- th- there's two things I always wanted to do or three: dollar slice pizza, mm. uh, chopped cheese from a bodega. It's like a sandwich. When okay. you go there and order a chopped cheese, and then that's like a big thing, in, like in the in the boroughs of Brooklyn or whatever. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not from New York. But <laughs> number three. I just want to go to Manhattan and get like myself like a pastrami sandwich. Okay. I love pastrami, okay. and apparently they make some pretty good pastrami there. That's okay. probably where it, I feel like it's original, it's authentic over there. Okay, well <laughs> I will keep that in mind, and uh, if I if I do see that, I probably won't go looking for it, Meg. So I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna go looking for it. But if I stumble upon it, I will go ahead and, and check that out. So thank you for the uh, for the tip there. Mm-hmm. Um, and today we're actually interviewing a friend of the podcast who's actually been on the podcast before. Um, this is the first time he's doing it by himself though. Um, he's currently running for the state house, the state of representatives for District 19 in Arkansas. Billy Cook, 
Thank you for joining us, Billy. How are you? Hey, welcome to the podcast, Billy. Welcome, Billy. Welcome it's again. great to be back. Uh-huh. And uh, I always uh, tease Billy because I feel like he has a radio voice, and I'm surprised he doesn't have a show already or you don't have a podcast. And this might be a good opportunity with uh, with the campaign, you know, to do a, a campaign podcast. Wow. Well, I always am waiting for my next big break. Okay. So uh, if if now's <laughs> the time, right? And 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 you would be one of the of the youngest people running for office, I think, in 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 the state, right? I know there's probably people that are younger than you, but. I figured that you'd be one of the youngest. Is that is that correct, based on what you know? Yes, I am one of the youngest Democrats on the ballot, or one of the youngest people on the ballot uh, in Arkansas. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I've been there too, so I, I get how that feels. There's there's positives, and then there's there's uh, negatives, but not, not to do with you, but just with how society sometimes views young people running for office. Um, has that already been a problem for you? Like, so far, has, has there been, like, any kind of, like, comments or anything that you've received because people have been seeing like a young person stepping in to this role? No, not really. Uh, mm-hmm. There haven't really been any negative interactions. If anything, it, people see it as a positive. That's um, good. Because most of our representatives are at retirement age or breaking that. And so uh, people like the idea of a fresh voice. Mm. And you, I believe, I forgot if you told me that you were born in Gravit or if you, I know you lived in Gravit. But were you actually born there? I was born at the Gravit Hospital. I lived in Bentonville until I was 10, but then I went back uh, to live in Gravit. I graduated from high school there, uh, and then I've lived in Fayetteville since uh, 2017. Oh, wow. And I was telling you that a few months, I, w- I randomly showed up at Gravit, and uh, they were having Gravit Day there. And you were telling me that that's a thing, and that's a big thing in the city, right? That's something that they do every year. Oh, yeah. Everyone from Gravit, no matter who they are, they return every year to, to, for the pancake breakfast, for the for the parade, and for the festivities that they have uh, in the park. I didn't know that, man. You never heard of Gravit Day? I man? never heard of Gravit Day. Bruh, you're missing out. Yeah, I know. Nah, wow. It was good vibes, though. It was good vibes because, you know, as a person of color, when you go to different different cities that might not be as diverse, uh, a lot of times you get worried, right? You're just kind of like always checking your back, making sure everything's good. But everybody was just so welcoming for uh, to us there. Uh, people were really, really nice, and 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 uh, we stayed there probably for about three hours. We went to, they have like this store in Gravit where they have a bunch of like '80s and '90s things. I forgot what it's called. It's like pop something. I forgot what it is, but. Uh, they have a bunch of like '80s memorabilia, '90s memorabilia. They had a lot of wrestling stuff, um, and uh, and it was it was just a, a beautiful, nice day to to spend with people that I didn't know. So uh, I and I talk about it all the time to people uh, whenever the conversation comes up of Gravit, whenever it does, and uh, and people are just surprised that there are <laughs> that there are welcoming people everywhere. You know, um, when like what time of the year is Gravit Day? It's in uh, mid-August, just before school starts. Oh, okay, for mm. my birthday. So how how do you all how do you make the how does your family make the move or you make the move from Gravit to Bentonville? What does that look like for you? Uh, so my parents had lived in Bentonville at the time, uh, but they uh, I was born in the Gravit Hospital, and so I live with my parents. But uh, then you know my parents' marriage ended uh, mm. when I was about ten in about two thousand eight, mm. and so my parents split apart. Uh, and then I went with my mom back to Gravit, and then uh, because my mother has some disabilities, she wasn't able to take care of me full time, mm. uh, and so I lived uh, a lot with my grandparents until I started just living with them full-time uh, okay it wasn't like a legal thing or anything like that it was mm-hmm. just like an agreement between family members that you know this was the best situation makes sense and wh- what would you say is like when it comes just going back to gravity is because i'm so interested <laughs> i'm so invested <laughs> totally. and interested 
what what do you, what is the identity of of Gravit look like? What what are they? I don't want to say what are they known for, but what are, what is like the culture look like over there? And 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 uh, if you had to describe to someone what Gravit was like, mm, so I think the population of Gravit now is around uh, thirty six hundred people. So it's a pretty small community. Uh, the you know the economy is there is like mostly rural. Uh, farming and agriculture, and then in some service industry. I think the town motto is um, the heart of uh, the home of Heartland America, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the high school that we have is the biggest building in town. Oh, really? Uh, I think you know it's uh, your classic American small town. You know, mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody, but everybody tries to k- take care of everybody also. Mm. Um, and you know, don't always bring up politics when you're a Democrat and a very conservative rural place like Gravit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, irrespective of political divides and things like that, people are welcoming and uh, some people will give you the shirt off their back. You know, one of the things that I've kind of really thought about more the past two or three years was that sometimes, I mean, we, we all have a lot of the times political differences with people that live in the same town as us, but you'd be surprised the kind of things that bring you together. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I, I've met with people that I know are like super conservative people and um, they've still tried to help me in certain situations, whether whatever it might be, a car issue, whether it being directions, all these different things. Or even like when I go to a new city and I know folks are like super conservative and they're still very welcoming and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's kind of made me made me realize sometimes like, Sometimes it really doesn't matter the political differences that we have. Like, there's a lot of things that can still bring us together and can still have us like work together on things. Um, and I know with, with your role, uh, if if you were to be elected into the state house, you'd have to work with a lot of people that think way differently than you, and you have to figure out like that middle ground where you all can can work on something together, right? Um, have you put much thought into that yet? Like, and have and like, what what are your initial thoughts when it comes to like you know working with folks who maybe haven't been as helpful in like the movements that you've that you've been a part of these past few years here mm-hmm. in Arkansas? Uh, well, you know, I, I have given a lot of thought to that. And even though uh, my district is probably going to flip for Democrats, it's ready to flip, it's still a leaning Republican area, technically still. Uh, but the way I see it is, you know, even if they disagree with me, people still deserve safe and healthy housing. Mm-hmm. They deserve access to public education. They deserve access to health care. Uh, and everyone needs those things, regardless of who they are or how they vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully, you know, and I've seen over other campaigns that I've helped out with, you know, you can bring people together around issues mm-hmm. uh, and you can avoid the the back and forth Republican and Democrat game. And you can say, you know, it's not right that Arkansas doesn't protect its renters because, you know, that includes Republicans and Democrats and people who have never voted before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I hope to bring people together around the issues that impact all of us. What do you think, talking about like the people that haven't voted before, that have never been part of election, what would you, what would you say like in regards to your campaign or, or in regards to your strategy in this campaign just in general, what do you think that you are going to do to try to, you know, reel in these people that have never voted before and show them like, hey, you know, like you can trust me or you can vote for me because of this, because of that? Um, have you, like, strategy-wise, what are you planning to, to do to get these people, you know, registered to vote? Right. Uh, well, I don't want to give up the whole game plan before the game. Uh, however, <laughs> Your opponent's I think, listening in right now, Bill. <laughs> uh, one decisive edge that I hope is 
to be present myself on doors talking to people because most people never get the chance to meet a politician or no. somebody that is on their ballot. So being a flesh and blood human being on someone's doorstep, not in a suit and tie, mm-hmm. for instance, mm-hmm. I think that could go part of the way. Yeah. But also, secondly, I think people need a representative who's not willing to show up and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do this, and I'm mm-hmm. going to do this for you, and rather who's someone who's willing to listen and say, what do you need? Mm. Uh, and I'm willing to take what you need back with me to Little Rock and fight for you uh, rather than, you know, me showing up out of the blue, telling them all of these wonderful things I'm going to do for them. Uh, and so I hope that that will give me an edge mm. um, and having issues that speak to people. Definitely. And one of the, the things that I wanted to also talk about is you've you've gone to do voter registration with me the past few years. You've gone to knock hundreds of doors with me. Um, a lot of the times neighborhoods of they didn't people didn't speak English whatsoever. Um, so we've knocked in apartment buildings, we've knocked in houses. Um, there was this one time where I know I, I troll you because I felt like you were about to faint because it was so hot outside, but we were out there like in 107 degree weather knocking on doors because we know the importance of, of what it can mean to have more people registered in our area. What, what would you say is one of the of the takeaways that, you, that you've gotten from that experience, the, the time that you that you went with me to these neighborhoods that maybe politicians normally don't go to? Um, I think we continue to see people either, you know, unwilling to participate or they have no desire to participate because those politicians don't go to those places uh, and they're not on their doorstep asking them what they need. Uh, I think, you know, historically people have been prevented from voting uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are systems set in place that have prevented people from taking part in the political process. Mm. Uh, I hope as best as I possibly can to, you know, break that cycle by you know, reaching out to low and middle income people specifically, because I believe there's untapped power in that voting demographic specifically, because there are a lot of issues, you know, that we go through every day. Uh, You know, like the rent is going up, we're losing our health care, our schools are being defunded. Um, I hope those issues will speak to people and, you know, having as accessible as a campaign as possible Mm. uh, is also something I hope that will bridge that gap. That voting thing, is, it's a big deal. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of my friends, they just believe that, oh, it's rigged. Like, it, it doesn't matter which way you vote. Like, you know, and especially here because it's so one-sided, you know. And then so I have uh, friends and then, you know, they the want a certain law to go through and then it doesn't go through. And then they're like, see, told you it was rigged. And then I'm sitting with like, you know, like 10 guys or what, 10 guys and girls. Did you vote? No. Did you vote? No. Did you vote? No. Well, it looks like that's the 2% that we needed to get this thing passed, you mm. know? And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's very important. But for some reason, they just don't believe it. They think it's all, like, the vote doesn't count. But but they never vote. So how would they? Mm. Anyway. <laughs> well, to that I would also add, my district was decided by 646 votes in 2022. It's one of the most flippable in all of Arkansas. Uh, top five in the state, and I think I'm number two in, in this region. Uh, and that was 3.8% of all registered voters who decided this election. Uh, and that's with less than half of all the people who were registered turning out to vote. Yeah. Uh, and so there is, you know, if people are motivated to get out and if they are, you know, given proof that their vote counts i mean surely that's got to count for something yeah and i think one of the things that i've been able to use as examples is like when i have situations like that i'm able to kind of go back and like either refer to representative godfrey in springdale who you know was elected and passed two laws that that helped undocumented people in springdale and the entire state so i'm able to kind of use that now and be like look 
your vote does count because literally either your life or your family members or your friend's life was changed. They have access to education, to affordable education because a new representative was elected. And there's other representatives that that also I relate, I uh, refer to for that as well. Um, so I think, you know, this could be another example, electing, electing Billy and then and then being like, OK, let's see what Billy does. He does what he does. And then be like, look. We helped Billy, and he won. We voted for him, and and now he's doing all all these different things that are changing lives, yeah. and uh, and I. But I understand though there is a lot of a lot of my friends are, you know, socialist, communist. Yeah. Uh, they're very left leaning, and a lot of times they don't have any faith in in the and in the voting the, system. And then the in between votes, not like the presidential ones, because everybody votes for the president, right? It's been eight years. They're sick of the last one, yeah. so so all the opposite party is going to come and vote for the new guy. And well, uh, this is election year. So. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Like people are going to come out to vote for Biden or Trump. So yeah. or whoever. I think it's going to be between them, honestly, at this point. But yeah. there's going to I think this is going to be a big turnout uh, year. And uh, and you, Billy, I, I think one of the advantages that you have, I feel, is that you uh, put in the work like you. I feel like you're obsessed with with whatever you're doing. Uh, when it comes to like when it comes to political things and, and helping good people and and supporting good legislation and supporting good candidates, so I can I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for you when you're working for yourself <laughs> to, yeah. to like like you're going to have to stop yourself and be like man I probably should stop knocking on doors it's 12 p.m. it's 12 a.m. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, yeah I'm just getting started <laughs> I'm just saying I'd be kind of scared for your opponent because you're gonna you're gonna outwork I know you're gonna outwork your opponent like that's not even a uh, that's not even a doubt in, in my mind. So um, when can people expect you to to start showing up to, to their houses and, and knock in their door? Uh, I'm going to start hitting the doors probably the first weekend of February, um, specifically so I can start doing voter registration at apartment blocks uh, because I feel as though, you know, people who live in apartment blocks tend to be working class, low and middle income people, uh, Hispanic and Marshallese people uh, that, you know, Politicians don't go there. You don't see people doing a lot of door-to-door voter registration, except people like you mm-hmm. uh, at apartment blocks. Uh, and, you know, it's this endless cycle of people not going to the apartment blocks. And then those people don't show up to vote because nobody went and talked to them. And then nobody says we should ever go back to them because nobody votes there. Uh, I think that's an endless cycle that can be broken. Uh, and maybe we won't be able to do it across the state, but I think we can do it in District 19. Yeah. And and you've been doing this kind of like political slash community work for for several years now. I mean, I've seen you be very very active. So this is not something where like, you know, how sometimes you see people run for office and it's like the first time they're ever really getting involved with their community, and then they're so lost. They're like, who do I talk to? Like, what should I do? Like, I don't, I've, I don't talk to a lot of people. But you've been doing that already, so you have another advantage. Um, one of the work that I wanted to talk about that you've been doing is the rental assistance help that you've been doing. Can you talk a little bit about that so people can kind of know, you know, what your bra- your background is in that and how you've been helping people? Uh, yes. So uh, during the height of COVID, you know, there was a lot of federal money that was given to Arkansas to pay a lot of back rent that people had. Uh, but the, the rollout of that program was not really efficient and it didn't cover a lot of people. And the state didn't really do a great job of telling people that this program existed. And even when people did apply for this program, it took them a very long time to get the assistance because the state of Arkansas had its own program, but Washington County and Benton County and Pulaski County had their own separate programs that were distinct. Uh, And know about any one of those programs. Oh yes. (laughs) Uh, And Benton County was only the real one that, that did it well. Um, because they used the HARC program, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what we did, because the state 
wasn't publicizing a lot of this. A bunch of my friends and I and people in college started showing up at apartment blocks with other volunteers to, you know, sit down with people and fill out the application because Mm -hmm. it was an online form. It was very long. It required several different types of documentation and identification that, you know, people don't have in their hands when they say, I need help with my back rent. So they would have to pause the application and go back and get their social (laughs) security card and other documentations and then come back and fill out this very long online form and then wait for the rental assistance. Um, and you know, and the application itself was was very complicated. It didn't use simple terms or simplified language. It it almost seemed as though it was meant to not be used. Mm. Uh, and so you know, we went to you know a lot of Section Eight apartment blocks. We uh, sat down with people and we just helped them fill out the forms. Uh, and hopefully, a lot of those people were able to get it because yeah. even when people submitted their applications in Washington County, the county still didn't send them their rental assistance. Um, mm. Some people have never had their applications uh, yeah. fulfilled. If it was anything like that unemployment chaos during the pandemic, I mean, yeah, they weren't they weren't trying to help anybody. Mm. Well, I mean, I felt like that. I felt like they helped a lot of people. They didn't help me though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey. it was, and, and I went there, man, and yeah. Mm. It was the same thing with the eviction moratorium that the CDC put out. Uh, we, I actually got started in this housing work because uh, the, the CDC sent out that moratorium saying you're not allowed to evict people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of landlords in Arkansas didn't care. So they, would, they would still try to evict people. Uh, and the state, of course, didn't tell a lot of people that this federal protection was maybe available to them. And so once again, it was a bunch of college students and a ragtag group of young people going door to door, putting flyers, you know, in English and Spanish saying, this is how uh, you, could apl- you could qualify for the CDC eviction moratorium. And then it got to the point because they were still evicting so many people uh, because, you know, uh, they, they file an eviction and that person's address is public on their summons on, on the court mm. connect. Uh, we started going to their doors and saying, okay, your landlord filed this eviction against you. Here's how you fill out the CDC eviction moratorium form and turn it into your landlord. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we did that in person in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, we went in Washington County and Benton County. We would have like 13, 14 doors to hit around Northwest Arkansas in a single day sometimes because the evictions did not stop. Uh, and, you know, some people, they found we got to them in time. Uh, before they were even served papers from the court, and they were able oh. to, to get the protection. And then we partnered with the Young Democrats to start mailing people across the state uh, mm-hmm. that had these evictions filed. And, you know, it is kind of like putting a message in a bottle and sending it out and yeah. hoping somebody gets it. Mm-hmm. But the state of Arkansas wasn't doing anything like no, that. No, man, that's what I was going to say, man. Thank I, you for stepping up, because apparently <laughs> the people in charge of this program didn't, you know? <laughs> Let's just take it out, and if uh, they just happen to Google something, then maybe they'll know about it. Mm. <laughs> oh my God! Mm. So then you, you all were were doing that kind of work, and and did, did it eventually transition to just doing general like renters' rights uh, work because that, that's kind of what you do right now, right? Mm. What, what can you talk a little bit about the work that you've continued to do now? Yeah, uh, we started out as volunteers with the the group Arkansas Renters United. It's the only renters' rights group in the state of Arkansas that's led by renters and for renters. Uh, And they're part of a larger nonprofit called Arkansas Community Organizations. And they eventually got some grant funding, and they were able to hire organizers as staff. So I was one of the people that they hired here in northwest Arkansas uh, to to pretty much go door-to-door and talk to people about the different issues that they're facing in their apartments because we don't have – 
strong protections for people in their apartments. You know, your landlord doesn't have to do much about your black mold or your roaches or your mice. So you see a lot of that. You see a lot of landlords, you know, twisting the eviction laws in their favor against mm. people. Uh, and so I get a lot of calls now in my line of work that are really depressing because of like the, the insurmountable challenges some people have to face. Um, and because it, we're also a state that doesn't have strong protections for renters, it is so hard to try to f help people uh, because they don't have a lot of legal protections. Uh, they don't have much of anything except like Legal Aid of Arkansas, which I can refer people to. You know, mm. Or I can refer people to like food pantries or other charities where they can get like part of their light bill or their, uh, their rent paid, for instance. Oh, wow. um, and so that's what I do. I try my very, very best to help everybody who comes to me. Uh, with a rental issue, uh, if I can. And then y'all are also inf uh, educating, informing people uh, that are, have been kicked out of uh, is it Medicare? M Medicaid. Medicaid. Um, Medicaid. Yes, yeah. my colleague Al Allen uh, mm -hmm. is one of our big Medicaid organizers here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, up to half a million people lost their Medicaid coverage last year in Arkansas, uh, tens of thousands of them being kids. Uh, and the state, once again, didn't do the very best job of informing people that they were going to be losing their benefits, except like one letter that they sent out to people. But, you know, like you get a letter from DHS, it sits on your kitchen table or your coffee table for a couple of weeks. But then you open it and you realize, oh, this was telling me that I was going to lose my coverage because mm -hmm. they had that big oh, Medicaid yeah. unwinding. Uh, and so we were meeting people, you know, outside DHS that found out they lost their insurance when they tried to use their insurance, like fill a prescription or oh, wow. get their kid a doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, they were mad and they decided to show up to DHS. And, and uh, we were able to send some people to DHS and get their coverage turned back on. Uh, but not everybody. My God. That's, that whole situation is, is uh, I don't want to say it's crazy because, I mean, I, I, I can expect that from our government. You know, like it's, it's not really surprising. But it's, it's so sad, yeah. you know, for the folks that rely on that, on that coverage and then just to be, to be gone out of nowhere without a proper, a proper warning. Yeah. And, uh, and you just don't know how that – how – it personally affects every individual that has like their own medical issues and their own uh, experiences. And, and uh, the fact that, that we're not doing more to help those people at the moment uh, on, a, on a bigger scale, you know, not just on a, on a scale of, you know, that responsibility falling on people like you or other people in the community to have to like bring awareness to that. But I don't know. I, it, it, it's, it's so sad that people in power know that this is happening. They're encouraging it and they're okay with people suffering the, the other day I was having a conversation with my family and uh, talking about Medicaid and retirement and you know to telling them that like prices I guess on Medicaid just went up and I'm like how are they gonna raise people how are they gonna get prices on health care on somebody who's on a fixed income yeah. you know that they're not giving them more money so they can keep up with inflation but yet all their prices are still going up like that does anyway yeah. I was like you think they'll know this anyway <laughs> <laughs> I mean I guess I've just grown to expect, you know, the, for things to be that way. But it's like, what can we do? What can we do right now for, for that? Like, is it just bringing awareness in regards to people getting kicked out from, from their health insurance? Um, or is there anything else that you know that, that the people listening can do to bring awareness to that? Uh, well, uh, what we're doing right now, we're working to identify people that have lost their coverage because maybe there's a chance that, you know, we can get them back in touch with some of the higher ups at DHS to try to get their coverage back on. Uh, but I think right now it's, you know, 
elevating the stories of people that lost their insurance, uh, making sure that we don't stop talking about this because mm-hmm. almost half a million people in Arkansas lost their health care. I mean, that should be headline news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I know it's an election year and, you know, people will say that you're only talking about this to score votes in an yeah. election year. But this was happening last year. No. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's terrible. Mm. And I wonder, I wonder if that situation would actually is ever going to get better or if it's just going to get to the point where is it will just become a bigger mess than what it is right now i wonder um but here's to hoping that you know that you do that you are are able to reach a good amount of people and then help them get their their insurance back because man i i don't know i don't know what i would do if i didn't have health insurance specifically being somewhat of a hypochondriac myself where like i need to go to the doctor and get checked every freaking few few months like I've had situations where I've talked to people and 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 they're going through something, something medical, and I'm like, "Yo, like, go get that checked." And they'll be like, "Well, my job doesn't offer insurance. Like, like I have to pay." I had a friend who was like, "I I pay fifty dollars. Um, no, my my job only gives me fifty dollars, uh, for for just to go do a checkup or something." And I'm like, "I I could not imagine living like that." And, and the fact that there's still people out there right now that might be going through some sort of medical issue and they just can't, they're scared about getting a major medical bill. Like, how could you not empathize with that? Yeah. Like, how could you not care? I was going to say, that was me for, for the longest. I mean, I just got my health care, like, this January 1st. I tried to go to the marketplace, and I was like, why is it, why is it still so expensive? And then I was like, oh, because I don't qualify. Mm. But I have health insurance. I'm, I'm pretty excited about hey. it. Uh, it's a blessing, man. Yeah, I remember mm. the other day, like, my, my foot hurt. And then you were like, oh, you yeah. go to the doctor. I was like, my, my, my coverage is kicking to the first, bro. <laughs> I was like, bro, like, yeah, I was telling Miguel, I was like, Miguel, go. Because he was worried for, for his leg. Uh, but, like, but he was like, I'm going to wait till my insurance kicks in. And I'm like, ah. like. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm just a little bit too empathetic, but I like, how does that not, the people in power, how do you just not care about other people? Yeah. Because too? they're not on Medicaid. That's true. That's true. And that's sad. That's, and that's why we need to elect good people into these political offices that have a heart, that care about other people, so that they can, you know, advocate for either, whether it be in legislation or some amendment or something to, to make sure that, that uh, people are covered. Um, I saw there was like a, a phrase that Democrats were sharing on Arkansas. Democrats were sharing about healthcare on social media. Do you know what it was? Hmm. It was like a healthcare is not. Do you know what it is? Hmm. I'll have to I'll have to look it up. I, it was like a, a phrase that was being used by that I saw on social media that a lot of Democrats were were posting. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone should have access to to healthcare, and I, and it's crazy how. Yeah, I thought this was America. Isn't that supposed to be like free? I mean, our neighbors have it for free. I mean, it, it, it makes <laughs> you, sense. You know, I, like I tell a lot of people, and, and I bring in the thing. I, like I, I always say that, like kind of the joke. It's America. Like healthcare should be free, and then that upset so many people. Me saying the free healthcare because like, oh, we're gonna get worse doctors, and I'm like, no, like, like you can still pay all the doctors the same wage if you just know how to like allocate money how they mm. always do for other different things you know like you can still I mean, get paid doctor's bank and we can still get fixed if we have all this money for war no if we have all this I'm money saying. for weapons how do we not have money to take yeah, care 10% of percent will take care of america i believe mm. how do we not have enough <laughs> money to take care of our people of our country yeah. but hey, i guess that's a conversation for a different day but uh, <laughs> i just thought I'd, I'd, I'd mention that but um so billy you're running for district 19 can you tell people 
what that district looks like, where the cutoffs are at, because I know that's always confusing for people. Yes. Uh, so House District 19 covers North Fayetteville, Johnson, and Springdale. Uh, North Fayetteville off Joyce Boulevard, all of Johnson pretty much, uh, south uh, of Sunset in Springdale. And then I have Harbor Meadows uh, mm. up like uh, in the far northwest tip of the district, uh, which includes that big subdivision, Harbor High, uh, okay. the Cracker Barrel where that shopping center is. <laughs> Diamond State Wrestling also. In the, in the, <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling company that I that I do work for is also in your district. Cool. Um and uh, nice plug there. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> a, a good segue. But can you talk about about the like I said, you've been doing work in the community already, whether it being with rental assistance, renters rights, just all, you've been a, a good ally for a lot of people. I've, I've noticed throughout the past few years. How do you make the transition from community work to want to run for office? How does that look like? Uh, I believe that there sh- isn't really much of a transition because I think the people running for office should be invested in community work. Uh, quite honestly. Um, I think you should have some background in helping someone in the community Mm -hmm. if you decide to represent people, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. Uh, So I don't really see a change. I just see this as sort of an extension of what I've already been doing. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about it right now, like, Besides now, you mean you've been knocking on doors, so it's not that's not new, right? To to go to, to just to go up to a random stranger's door and just inform them on something. The only difference is that you're telling them vote for me, now, that's, right? That's the, that's <laughs> going to be the, the the strange part for sure. I mean, you're already pretty active politically at political events. I see you all the time, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess it's not really a huge change for you in in, in that aspect, at least. Right, right. Uh, well, if anything, it's it's more exciting because mm-hmm. now I. I don't really have anyone to, to stop me from talking about housing yeah. all the time. Mm. I could talk about housing. Uh, and, and until November 5th of this year, I'm going to keep talking about housing uh, mm. and health care and, you know, fighting government corruption and making sure we have strong public schools. But what is and going a little bit into that? Can you talk a little bit about what your um, what are the issues that you're kind of been highlighting in this campaign? Mm. Uh, so, of course, uh, I don't want to you know, show up on anybody's doorstep and tell them what's going to happen. Of course, I want to listen to their concerns and see what's actually affecting people in District 19. I do have some priorities myself as a candidate. Uh, I want to fight government corruption. I think that they tried to gut our Freedom of Information Act this last year, and I think it doesn't matter who you are, Republican, Democrat, somebody who's never voted before, you deserve to know what's being done with your tax dollars. Mm -hmm. And the government has no right to pull the wool over our eyes, especially when they go around preaching limited government and transparent government. Uh, It doesn't make any sense to me how they would want to hide what government is doing. Uh, So as long as I'm a taxpayer, I'm going to keep saying that. Um, So fighting government corruption, uh, strong public schools. I am a product of the public education system myself. I could have never gone to a private school uh, myself. I never had that opportunity. Uh, and so I think we should be keeping our public dollars in our public schools and not yanking them out to give them to private institutions that are unregulated uh, and don't have to follow the same standards of accepting you know, students with disabilities, for instance, uh, as our public schools do. Uh, also, uh, as, keeping on the education piece, I think we should expand, you know, trades and vocational opportunities for students that might not want to do a four-year degree. But also, uh, because I was on free and reduced lunches myself as a kid, I think that we should expand that coverage eventually to cover all K-12 through students mm. with uh, at least one square meal a day 
in a state where we have one in five kids as food insecure. I think they should have at least one square meal a day at school that mm. they doesn't have to come out of their own pocket. And I think their parents will feel the difference also. Mm. We're going back to because these these issues that you mentioned, like these these issues that your campaign that you're that you're um, that you feel very strong about, usually come from someone that is empathetic, you know, with people that are that are going through it, that are that are struggling, whether economically or or whatever. Wh- where do you like be like the way that you were raised or the way that you grew up? Where where do you start like empathizing with people who might who might have it, you know? might be going through similar struggles that you're going through or have it worse than you. Like, where does that switch occur? Because I know sometimes some people have like that moment where they're like, man, I'm kind of like, either either they say like, I'm privileged and I need to help out these people that, that have it worse than me. Or they say, you know, like I'm struggling. My, I see my neighbor struggling too. Like we should do something to, to, to better the, the thing, to better these, uh, to better these laws in our state, to better just programs in our community. Where do you think that moment was for you or have you always had that, you know, of wanting to help people and wanting to make things better for, for people that have it either the same as you or, or worse than you? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a rural area uh, in Gravit and in, in Bentonville. My, my parents never had a lot of money. My mother has epilepsy and so she was never able to work. Uh, my father passed away my freshman year of high school, mm. uh, and so I live with my grandparents, who were also retired on fixed incomes. Uh, it's hard to think of a time in my life when there were never, when there was never some kind of struggle going mm. on. Uh, and so all I have to really do is just look back on my my own life experiences, yeah. uh, and you know I'm still paying high rent mm-hmm. and high utilities and a high grocery tab, and I still have to wait in line behind everybody else. Uh, so I. I but now that I'm in a position to like just start railing on these issues, <laughs> uh, I I think that I could hopefully get something done. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a comprehensive answer. No, yeah. that makes that makes perfect sense. I mean, mm. let, that's why I usually I would say like when I talk to certain people, I'd be like, so what? At what point have you reached your? Did you reach a level of like awareness of your privilege and and said like i need to do more for other people but i i've heard from you before and i know that you've gone through your own struggles that's why i was phrasing that question more as in like when you're going through when you're struggling and you see other people struggling too like at what point do you say to yourself like we need to either uh organize so we can change things and but at the same time you know show empathy for people that are going through similar things that you're going through or or because sometimes that it seems very common sense for us that I feel that empathize with with community members and, and try to be productive and like supporting different issues and stuff. But it's not very common sense to the normal human being because I talk to a lot of people. Some people just don't care. They're going through it and it's just kind of like I'm focusing on me, which I understand that, too. If you have a full, if you have a family and everything like it's harder for you to focus on other people to help. But there's a, only a small amount of people that that uh, see that they're struggling, that they that they're going through it and they still have energy to try to help out other people and still try to better, you know, uh, to plant a seed for the, for like a tree that you might not be able to see grow in your lifetime, Mm -hmm. you know, to help other people. You're out there and you're, uh, you know, doing your, uh, activism stuff. And, uh, you know, I've had friends being like, like, man, like, I'm glad that he's out there doing stuff. And then, but then they're like, I would never go out there and do anything like that, you know? I, maybe because they have family, maybe because they just don't care that much. And I mean, it is hard to, 
I guess like empathize. I, I feel like I'm really good at empathizing, but I, like a lot of people like like aren't if it doesn't bother them. But then but then I, I also see how you know like sometimes like the way my life is going, I just think that everybody's life is going the same. Then somebody gives me like a struggle story, and I'm like, oh yeah, like, like damn, I got yeah it yeah. I forget that people are out here like. And I, th- I think it's important to never lose that like that empathizing the 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 feeling of caring for other people i know for example when i got a when i got a house a few years ago i felt really guilty of having a house you know because that was the time that i was working with the bell project and 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 most of my clients were housing insecure i almost didn't want to like show it off or tell anybody about it either so it's like what can we do when we recognize our privilege like because we recognize that we have a house you know we have a we have a secure roof over our head that we know every day that when we, when we wake up that we're going to have a place to sleep that's going to be warm. Like, how can we use that privilege to try to, you know, every day help out other people that are going through it? But, but see, like, at the same time, like, it, 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 it now I expect, like, everybody to, like, have a house, you know? Mm. Because when somebody tells me, oh, my apartment, like, every time somebody says that, it's like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. The, the truth. <laughs> the truth is that that uh, not everybody has a house. Like, yeah, no, like, like it's even, not at all. But I just assume that yeah. everybody's just in the same field as I am. And I think that's probably a responsibility that we have in this podcast is to like expose people to, hey, like that's what we bring in people like Billy, people like like Solomon who have been on the podcast before to to really uh, expose what's really happening in our community and and, and to show that there's still a higher need, you know, for affordable housing. There's a higher need for more mental health resources. Um, are you going to be talking about mental health, like, throughout your campaign? Because I know, I know you care about it because I've had conversations with you before. Um, how do you think that, um, that mental health uh, will become a part of your campaign? Uh, well, I see that as part of the healthcare piece. Sense, uh, yeah. Because, you know, people have lost access to their doctors, but I imagine they've also lost access to their therapists or yeah. their psychiatrists. Uh, so making sure that people have access to mental health resources, but also, you know, uh, substance abuse resources mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, rehabilitation resources uh, need to be, you know, just there just needs to be more. Of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I firmly believe that we should expand mental health access. <laughs> I mean, that should be a no brainer. It should be a no brainer that we should expand healthcare access across the board. I mean, isn't that why they're building more prisons? I'm just He's joking. joking. He's joking. <laughs> <laughs> He's joking but, like that's their solution. I mean, no, that, I'm not, I wasn't joking. That's what they do. That's anyway. it's, one, it's one of those things <laughs> where it's like, is it really a solution or is it job security? Is it, you know, them wanting to make sure that they still have a job, uh, and uh, and I and I don't mean that as in like empathize with them. I mean that like if you're making decisions based on just having a secure job, like that's not okay because a lot of these people that are uh, reoccurring in the jails, I mean, they have severe mental health issues. Like they need help with affordable affordable place to stay, and yeah, and it's it's for me it's been really disheartening just to see people. You know, try to make it like uh, expanding the jail is is the is the the solution when it's not, and and it's sad that like that our mental health institutions like sometimes even have to shut down because of lack of, of funding. Just mm-hmm. the same way the 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 center here in Fayetteville had to shut down. Was it about a year and a half ago? I think because mm-hmm. there was no funding and they shut down for a few months and stuff. And it's like. I remember having clients that needed to needed a place like that at the moment because of what they were going through and they had nowhere to go. Mm. And I'm like, in in a place where we have some of the richest people in the world that 
either live here or have like investments here and we are struggling to to pay for mental health resources you know and uh but i that's a whole rabbit hole that i can mm-hmm. go into because you can even start talking about like paying people that work at these mental health institutions more because they're not getting paid enough i applied for a job there once the pay was horrible based on on everything you were going to have to do and the abuse that you would have probably have to take, you know, uh, from just everything, whether it being like patients and all these different things. And uh, and th- people are just not getting paid enough. And I think investing just overall on mental health resources, I feel like you could see a, a big a big change in, in uh, the number of people incarcerated and the people that are able to kind of, you know, come get out of that cycle of 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 uh, of, of being being arrested mm. um, and. You know, I think I think probably different parts in the in the country are going through through similar things that we're going through. But it's like, for me, it's just it's just really disheartening. And I know that there's a lot of resources, and they're not being used. You know, mm-hmm. we're more focused on expanding jails. Mm-hmm. Um, we so. don't have a. We're just now getting a mental health court in Washington County off the mm-hmm. ground. Um, and you know, uh, like the Fayetteville Police Department, they have a social worker on their staff, which compared to not having any social workers on your staff is good. Yeah. But, you know, we need more social workers. Mm. Uh, and I think a lot of people find their way into the criminal justice system because they don't have that one-on-one care that they need. You know, like, you need access to medication. You need access to reliable transportation. You need access to employment. Uh, we don't just need to, you know, stuff you away somewhere in an expanded jail and pretend you're not there. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't think this out of sight, out of mind strategy is going to work for us. And then they get out. Now they have a record. They can't afford anything. They can't get a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can't get a job. Yeah. They a lot of times can't yeah. af- afford, you know, transportation to get to work, to get to court, to get to their parole, to get to their probation. Like, yeah. Now you're in trouble because you didn't make court, but you didn't have a car or could afford to put gas in that car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, that's a whole thing mm-hmm. that we can do a whole episode on because it's the just the incarceration system and how it works and everything. It's 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 brutal. Um, but Billy. Besides, besides these issues that that we've talked about today, for someone that's listening, that um, either they've they've uh, never voted for a Democrat before in that district, or maybe have never voted in the district, uh, what would you say directly to them as to why they should come out to to vote this November fifth? You said right, fifth mm. is, is election date this this year. Um, the people that are in your district, just one more time, if you can give them a message for the people that are listening on, on why they should show up and vote, vote for Billy Cook. Well, uh, our state is really out of balance right now. Uh, I don't think a one-party state is working for anybody because they're taking money out of the schools. They're covering it up at the state level. uh, And right now, there's no pushback to any of that because Democrats have so few people in our state house. Uh, But if we at least start restoring balance, we can stand up to them and say, no, you're not going to take another penny out of our public schools. Or no, no more people deserve to lose their health care, for instance. Uh, I would say that, you know, if you're a Republican or a moderate, uh, you should think about, you know, restoring balance to, mm. to the state uh, rather than just having everything ran by one side that is clearly working out for all of us. So, uh, Insert sarcasm here. Yes, insert sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it is working for some people. You know, they're mm-hmm. giving tax cuts to the extremely ultra wealthy. Yeah. Uh, I think if we're ever going to talk about tax cuts, I think we should give them to low income folks mm-hmm. and working people. 
I saw one of those, uh, you know, those graphics that sometimes Sarah Sanders puts out where it's like, oh, this is what I've done. These are my successes. And I was looking at the graphic and none of that benefited me. <laughs> and I was like, well, if this doesn't benefit me, it probably doesn't benefit people that make less money than me. This is like she's literally boasting about yeah. uh, what benefits the wealthy. Yeah, that is my whole neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, like, and, 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 and it's very unfortunate. So I'm, I'm glad that you're running and giving a voice to people, you know, that that uh, just based on the experiences that you've had, you've been able to hear their testimonies and hopefully you're able to amplify some of the issues that, that are occurring not only in your district but in, in the entire state. Because I, I believe you've, you've had the opportunity to talk to people all over all over the state throughout these past few years and kind of have been able to hear, you know, how what, what things are affecting them and, and what kind of help they need, what kind of support that they need. And uh, and I am sure that if, if elected, you're going you're gonna to go out there and, and really, like, try to work with people to make good things happen for our state and pass good legislation and hopefully amend some that needs amending as well. Um, um, is there anything that you wanted to add on your own accord? Uh, yes. Well, I have a plan to win. Uh, the plan is to work circles around my opponent and prove to people in District 19 that I'm the better choice. Mm. Uh, so I have the plan, so I just need the money and the muscle to make it happen. Uh, people can go to my website, cookforarkansas.com, uh, where they can uh, donate and sign up to volunteer. Uh, and also, I guess I would just add that I love this state and I love its people, and I think they're both worth fighting for. Hey. And that's Cook C-O-O-K? Cook C-O-O-K for Arkansas.com. Is that number four? No. Okay. F-O-R. F-O-R. <laughs> for Arkansas.com. Right. Hashtag let him cook. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that cook for Arkansas. You know, there you go. It's, it's a nice little branding there. I'm, I'm saying that the hashtag that uh, Micah came up with with uh, let him cook. That you got, you got to use that, Billy. You got to use yeah. that. And what, where can people find you on social media? Uh, they can find me at Cook for AR uh, on Twitter or X. Uh, Billy Cook for Arkansas House uh, on Facebook, and then uh, I believe Cook for AR on instagram okay no more no more on bilstagram on uh, instagram uh, that's, a, that's a private <laughs> that's a private one okay, okay. Yeah. just want to make sure so uh yeah make sure you follow billy on uh social media donate to his campaign you might see him if you're in his district uh, knocking your door soon so make sure that you have some questions lined up for him or maybe some something that you want him to hear about what's happening in your district and and how uh how it can be better and and what kind of laws can can help people like you um so billy will be out there and make sure that you uh, give them your vote on November 5th. And, uh, oh yeah, um, I, I, I looked at Miguel and he gave me a little, a little sign, which reminded me to ask you the last question that I ask all my guests. Um, what do you do, Billy, to take care of your mental health? Hmm. Uh, I take a daily walk to Lake Fayetteville, uh, because I think it's beautiful out there. It gives me some time to walk and collect my thoughts, you know, sit, in the trees, mm. and listen to the birds. Okay, it's real, real nice. Uh, I I like to go on hikes. All right, real relaxing there with the. We dig that. Yeah. We dig that. We dig people taking care of their mental health. Thanks for reminding me about that question, because It's important that we ask yeah, I, I everybody. Forgot. Yeah, I saw you wrapping you, up. I was like, you just hold point, on, point just my head real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Irvin has been asking me this question for years now. Oh yeah, that's true, yeah, right? You, I do you, ask you that you all the time. Ask me after the the doors for the voter registration. <laughs> what are you doing for your mental health? Mm. Because, well, one, I think it's it's powerful for men to kind of also like uh, like uh, not call in, but to like um, follow up with each other and be like, hey, you're doing good. 
are you okay? How's your mental health doing? I, I think it's important. When I ask that question, I really do mean it. Like, I really do want to make sure that you're okay. And I really want to make sure that other people are okay. And if they're not, it's like, do I need to listen to what's going on in your life? Is is there something that I can help out with? Um, so I also I'm, feel like you asking that question, if you're like, where are we listening to this? You're like, oh, what am I doing for my mental health? You know, yeah. so it's a whole thing. It gets us thinking, like, to take yeah. care of our own mental health, too. Um but, Billy, thank you once again for being here, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited for your campaign. Excited to uh, do some weeks of, like, uh, doing some uh, weekend voter, re- voter registration with you, knocking on doors. So you can definitely hit me up. I'm down to to do that. Um, so I'm excited about that. But, everybody, support Billy. You know, this is episode 231 of the District 3 podcast. My name is Irvin. And uh, Migs. Signing off.